I am Pastor Corrine Boroff, Senior Pastor at Anderson First United Methodist Church. Thank you for listening to our worship service today. If you want to learn more about this church, visit our website at andersonfirst.org. Have a blessed day and enjoy the message. Our lesson this morning is from John 1, verses 43 through 51. Please stand as you are able. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Hasn't that been wonderful music today? I've really been blessed. Families have their stories, don't they? Get a family together at a holiday table and inevitably someone will say, remember the time when? Some of those remembered times become family classics told again and again, whenever something about the present circumstances trigger someone's memory. My claim to fame is a story about taking a troop of family members on the subway in Tokyo and missing the Roppongi station. That embarrassing story 
is for another time. But the story of the snow snake, that one has been retold in our family for over 20 years. My nephew, Will, was about six or seven at the time, and we were having a winter family gathering at McCormick's Creek State Park here in Indiana, and we were out on a snowy trail one afternoon. I think it was the one that takes you down to Wolf Creek, Wolf Cave, for those of you who have hiked those trails before. Anyway, as we walked along the trail, I happened to pick up a stick, and I dragged it behind me alongside the edge of the trail for a short distance. And what possessed me, I'll never know, but I excitedly called out to my nephew, Will, a snow snake. Well, Will came running back to see, and in that moment, a story about snow snakes, what they looked like and where they lived during the summer was created, and all of us began looking intently as we walked along the trail. Will was totally sucked into our imaginary snake, and some of us began pointing out further evidence of the elusive snow snake. Well, I'm not sure how long Will believed in snow snakes, but our family has never forgotten, and we have never let Will forget that he once in time believed. This has no doubt contributed to the moderately skeptical person he has grown up to be. <laughs> Skepticism is rampant in these days of misinformation, but it has always been part of the human experience. At one time, the full force of the law was brought down on anyone who would suggest that the earth was round instead of flat, or that the earth revolved around the sun rather than the other way around. And since the Age of Enlightenment and its emphasis on rational thought and scientific inquiry, matters of faith, including the Bible, have been viewed more skeptically. It seems to me that we are generally skeptical of anything that doesn't quite fit our experience or our ability to explain rationally. Jesus encountered his own skeptics. And this is where our text begins this morning. Nathaniel was a skeptic who became a disciple. Let's see what happened. Earlier in chapter 1 of John's Gospel, when he sees Jesus, John the Baptist announces to those men and women gathered around, look, here's the Lamb of God. Two of John's disciples, Andrew being one of them, turn, leave John the Baptist behind, and begin to follow Jesus. What are you looking for? Jesus asks them. And so with that question begins the journey of discipleship. Andrew finds Simon Peter. Jesus finds Philip. And then Philip finds Nathaniel, who says to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, 
In other words, we have found the one who we've been looking for and waiting and longing for. We have found the Messiah, the one who will fulfill God's promises for our people. He is Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now our introduction to Jesus, your introduction and my introduction, comes about in the midst of a particular context. For some of us, that introduction came so early in our lives that we truly can't remember those first stories that our mothers and grandmothers told us as they tucked us into bed. Jesus was an unseen member of the family, but the picture of him standing and knocking at that strange wooden door hung on the wall in the living room. He was just always there, and he loved us, and he could do amazing things and would give us what we needed if we asked him for it. For others, like some of our community cafe neighbors, the introduction to Jesus comes by way of a stranger whom we haven't known long enough to trust. And yet for others who lie suffering and forgotten in a hospital bed, the visiting chaplain may be the one to introduce Jesus, the healer and friend. We all meet Jesus in a particular context, and that context determines in great part our initial response. When Philip tells Nathanael, we have found the one, the Messiah, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth, Nathanael responds with skepticism. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What was the context for such a skeptical reply? Was his skepticism born out of disillusionment? Hopelessness? His knowledge of the scriptures which said that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem in Judah? Maybe Nathanael was naturally skeptical. Perhaps he had reason to be. Of course, you know that at this time, the Jews lived under the heavy-handed rule of the Romans. And the the Romans allowed them to practice their religion, but the Jews were treated as second-class citizens and were taxed almost to the breaking point. Tension was high. And for some time, there had been many wannabe heroes claiming to be the long-awaited Messiah, ready to deliver the Jews from Roman rule. Galilee was a hotbed for such radicals, and Judas of Galilee was one such radical. He was the one that organized an uprising against the census that had forced Mary and Joseph to travel to Bethlehem. It is also believed that he's the founder of the Zealots, the insurgents, we would call them today, who instigated the revolt years later that resulted in the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So, Nathaniel, also a Galilean, but from Cana, came by his skepticism honestly. Was this just another would-be Messiah that you dared not get yourself involved with? I can hear a deep sigh. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip, who doesn't try to argue the point, simply says, come and see. 
I suppose that Nathaniel could have shook his head, turned, and walked away from his friend Philip, and in first century Hebrew idiom say, no way. He could have, but he didn't. Nathaniel accepted Philip's invitation to come and see. I wonder what it was that prompted him to accept. Maybe he never turned his friend down. Maybe he had nothing else to do at that time and was curious to see the latest radical to come down the pike. Maybe there was a stirring in his heart that he hardly recognized, let alone could explain. But one thing is for certain. No words of explanation to the identity of Jesus would convince him in and of themselves. He had to accept the invitation to come and see. We must meet this Jesus ourselves. But I can't get in my car and drive to Indianapolis to see the man Jesus teaching to crowds of people sitting on the canal bank near the historical center. Jesus won't be preaching the sermon at St. Peter's in the Vatican today, or even feeding 5,000 on a Judean hillside with one boy's happy meal. Nathaniel was blessed with face-to-face encounter. We have to wait until some future time for that. Accepting the invitation to come and see today is a heart thing. What is the direction of our heart? Is it Godward? Does it respond favorably to the movement of God's Spirit? We see Jesus with the eyes of our hearts in limitless ways, in the breaking of bread, in stillness, in a baby's smile. We see Jesus with the eyes of our hearts when we read God's Word, when we gaze on some awesome mountain peak, and when we are in the community of God's people, the body of Christ that strives to live out His life of love every day against all obstacles. We see Jesus with the eyes of our heart, but first we must accept the invitation. In his skepticism, Nathaniel's heart must have hoped, and in answer to Philip's invitation, he walked toward the place where Jesus was. Scripture then says, when, Nathaniel, when Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Isn't it interesting? Before we even come to Jesus, before we even come to know who Jesus really is, Jesus sees us first. Jesus knew Nathaniel completely. He knew his innermost thoughts, and Jesus knew the direction of Nathaniel's heart. Jesus saw through Nathaniel's skepticism to the man he truly was, a model of faithfulness. And Jesus affirmed and welcomed him. When we accept the invitation to come and see, we come as persons already intimately known by Jesus. He doesn't have to get to know us. 
He already does. He doesn't have to discover where our heart is. He already knows. He sees beyond whatever facade we erect to protect ourselves. He sees the person we were created to be, and he affirms the person we are and extends his arms of welcome. Now, if Jesus had said of me in public, here is someone in whom there is no deceit, I probably would have responded in embarrassment. No, no, not me. But Nathaniel doesn't demur or set aside Jesus' comment. Rather, he seems to receive the compliment without argument and says directly, where did you get to know me? And in an act of self-revelation, even as he reveals more insight to Nathaniel, Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now the precise meaning of Jesus' words here is unclear. Some scholars have suggested that Jesus is quoting a Jewish figure of speech, referring to someone who is a faithful student of the Torah or Scripture. It is also true that the Gospel writer John frequently uses words or phrases that hold double meaning And this could be one such place. Nathaniel may have literally been sitting under a fig tree when Philip found him, while also being a man who faithfully meditated on Scripture. But the focus of these verses is not on the particular words that Jesus speaks, but rather on Jesus' superhuman knowledge and its effect on Nathaniel. In this moment, with these words, Nathaniel is no longer the skeptic asking, can anything good come of Nazareth? Nathaniel now recognizes Jesus' true origins. He may have lived in Nazareth, but Jesus comes from God. Nathaniel also knows in that moment Jesus' true identity and Jesus' significance for the people of Israel. He is the Messiah, just as Philip had told him. And so on this incredible day, Nathaniel learns that indeed something good, something very good, can come out of Nazareth. And he moves from skepticism to confession. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Well, how did such a transformation take place in Nathaniel's life? How does it take place in our own lives when such a face-to-face encounter with Jesus is not possible? How do we move from our skepticism to confession that Jesus is the Christ, come from God, who is our Savior and Lord? There is no way in this broken world, that we can make such a leap from across the chasm from skepticism to confession. The story that is scripture can get us only so far. Logic won't do it. Scientific proof won't get us there. No crystal ball will reveal the full mystery of this man, Jesus, who is God. Recognizing and claiming Jesus is possible only as a gift of God's Spirit 
to the open and God-seeking heart. Nathaniel accepted Philip's invitation. He came, and by the gift of God's Spirit, he saw. And in the light of that revelation, Nathaniel confessed Jesus as Son of God and King of Israel. It doesn't always happen that way, of course, in that first encounter. Sometimes, like a parable, the truth remains hidden. But if we continue coming back, the window will one day open and the light will shine through. But the story doesn't end here. Our confession of faith in his identity isn't the culmination of our journey with Jesus. Indeed, our confession merely initiates our life of discipleship with him. Did you notice that Nathaniel's confession isn't the last word in this conversation with Jesus? Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? Jesus asks. Reminds you of what Jesus would later say to Thomas, doesn't it? Have you believed because you have seen me? It's easy to think of this as a rebuke, but I wonder. Maybe Jesus is not criticizing the grounds of Nathaniel's faith, but suggesting that he is only at the beginning point of faith in him. You will see greater things than these, Jesus continues. From this vantage point, we know some of what Nathaniel has yet to experience and discover about Jesus and about God's kingdom. Discipleship is an active engagement with Jesus in which our relationship with him grows and our faith in him deepens. This does not happen without cost, without commitment, without effort. We do not know the paths that the Lord will take us along the way. We do not know the tests that will come. We cannot begin to understand the implications of what discipleship will mean for us. But whatever it means and wherever it takes us, discipleship is a lifelong journey. And that is what Nathaniel bought into with his confession of faith. He could do no other. You cannot confess Jesus as the Son of God and leave it at that. Such a confession demands a journey. But that is a journey in the company of Jesus who bridges the difference between heaven and earth. Very truly I tell you, Jesus finally says, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Does that sound familiar? It certainly would have been familiar to Nathaniel. Do you remember Jacob's dream recorded in Genesis 28? Jacob has a dream in which a ladder is set up between heaven and earth and the angels are ascending and descending on it. In Jesus' telling, the ladder is replaced by the Son of Man 
it is replaced with himself. Even before Nathaniel and Jesus walk away together, Jesus reveals yet one more thing about himself. Jesus, the Son of Man, is the central point of focus of God's activity on earth. He is the point at which heaven and earth, divine and human, come together. I wonder how long Nathaniel pondered that before he understood. Maybe it took a lifetime. The thing that marks Nathaniel as a disciple is that he knows who Jesus is. He sees that the man from Nazareth is, in fact, the Son of God, and his confession of faith sets him out on a journey of discipleship. And so it is with us. Our introduction to Jesus comes to us in a particular context, unique to each of us. We must accept the invitation to come and see. And when we accept that invitation, we encounter Jesus. It is only by the gift of God's Spirit that we can see him for who he really is. Our decision to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, is inseparable from the decision we make about Jesus' identity. Confession requires discipleship. And so we journey with Jesus, and our understanding grows and our faith deepens. This is the promise of the one in whom God's activity on earth rests, Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man, Lord of God's people. Here is how I would put it in a few words. Come and see. Go and show. Come. Suggests being open to the truth. See. Suggests understanding the truth. Go. Suggests willingness to follow Jesus. And show. Suggests the way we live out the truth before others. Come and see. Go and show. (coughs) I'd like to reflect personally on this theme by way of conclusion this morning. Have you ever considered how utterly fantastical the Christmas story is? I mean, it seems like such a folktale, not unlike countless other folktales from countless other cultures and traditions all over the world. You have angel visitations, stars that stand still, a virgin girl becoming pregnant by the power of God and giving birth, foreign astrologers visiting, and an evil king out to kill a tiny baby whose birth is foretold in ancient manuscripts. But I had never considered it this way before. The Christmas of 2010 
while I was living in Japan. <clears throat> I grew up in a Christian home. And the truth is that this Jesus story was simply taken for granted. I don't remember even one time when I listened to the story of Jesus' birth with ears of unbelief or even the tiniest hint of skepticism. But that Christmas in Japan, Japan was different. <clears throat> I experienced for the first time the wonder and the absolute mystery of the nativity story from the perspective of those who never grew up hearing it. I heard it for the first time with the ears of those who had not always assumed this story to be true. In one of my advanced adult English classes uh, earlier in the year, I had offered a number of book choices for our study. William Young's The Shack was one of those options. I really didn't expect the student, that the students would choose it. <clears throat> they had been pretty reticent about choosing any uh, Christian material for discussion, but they surprised me. They chose this one. And so we began. The introductory chapters posed little theological or biblical problem. If you've read The Shack, you know what I'm talking about. But then Mac, the central character, meets God in three persons, Papa, Jesus, Sarayu. And in the conversation that ensues between Mac and God, there are many references made to the biblical narrative, many assumed understandings to the Christian story. My students had no background knowledge to make sense of those references. So I discovered that I had a lot more explaining to do besides English vocabulary and grammar. One particular evening, I was describing the biblical account of Jesus' birth. The more I tried to explain, the more ridiculous the story seemed. The blank looks on the faces of the students caused me to listen more carefully to the words I was saying. And suddenly it dawned on me this all sounded so utterly unbelievable. No wonder at the blank stares. I could imagine them thinking, okay, no problem, you can believe that if you want to. And then, of course, because I have to fix everything, make everything right, and convince everybody, I panicked. And my mind went into overdrive. What could I say? For who can explain a mystery of God rationally so that people would come to understand and believe? Who can explain the awesome and fearful beyond our comprehension and exceeding our imagination work of God? No one can, of course, least of all me. And the more I tried to explain, the more I tried to convince these women of the truth of this story, the more confusing and tongue-tied I became. Suddenly, come and see. Those words slipped through the confusion of my heart. Come and see. The shepherds came and saw and went away telling everyone they knew of the amazing thing that God had done. Come and see. 
the wise men came and saw and knelt down in worship. And years later, Philip said to Nathanael, come and see. And they followed Jesus along the way. Come and see. The Samaritan woman told her friends and neighbors, and many came to believe. And finally, I said simply to my blank-faced students, well, you just have to come and see. And that was when Kumiko said to me, I don't understand the other, but I understand that. I see God in you. And in that moment, I was humbled and grateful to God for the journey. Come and see. Go and show. We don't have to explain it rationally. We don't have to convince anyone. We don't have to somehow twist and shape the story of Jesus into something that at last makes sense and promises some big payday. Come and see. Go and show. And God, God, in that same mysterious way that Mary and Joseph came to know, and the wise men came to know, and Nathaniel and the Samaritan woman came to know, in that same way, God will do God's own convincing if we just stop talking and get about the business of showing. Amen.